Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast. Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back to the show. Every episode of the show, I'm trying to help you guys build your own personal prescription for power. That's right. This is your Power RX. And I couldn't be more excited today to bring you Dr. Walter Longo. He has written the Longevity Diet Book, and he's seen as one of the premier experts on longevity and aging, and who of us want to age? Professor Longo is an internationally recognized as a leader in the field of aging studies and related diseases. His discoveries include some of the major genetic pathways that regulate aging and life-threatening diseases and the identification of a genetic mutation that protects men from several different diseases. Professor Longo received the Nathan Schock Lecture Award from the National Institute of Aging in 2010, and in 2013, he received the Rising Star Award for Research on Aging and the 2016 Glenn Award for Research in the Biology of Aging. In 2015, after a number of his papers were among the most widely cited in the biomedical field, Time Magazine called him a guru of longevity, and I have him here on the show. I couldn't be more thrilled. Welcome to the show, Dr. Longo. Well, thanks for having me. We're thrilled to have you here, and I know you're in Milan at the moment, so we're a little bit jealous, but we want to talk about aging. We want to talk about longevity. I see patients all the time that really want to optimize, to maximize their health, to live a fruitful and productive life into their later years, not to live in the state of sickness. What is some of the ideals? What are some of the ideals and the pillars that you see you know, that are critical when we're having a conversation about aging and longevity? Uh, well, in the uh, in the book, I talk about two major uh, components, and one, of course, is is the everyday diet, uh, and there's a small component of exercise, uh, and the second one is uh, these periodic uh, fasting mimicking diets and using mm-hmm. the uh, um, starvation essentially for just a short periods, but the starvation done with with food. So this is uh, uh, where fasting mimicking diets come from. Uh, to uh, uh, get rid of uh, damaged components of cells and organs and then uh, um, uh, replace them with uh, healthier ones. At least uh, this has been demonstrated in mice and in initial uh, clinical trials. And uh, now we're doing uh, many uh, different clinical trials uh, uh, to confirm um, uh, these initial results. Fantastic. So let's break it down a little bit for the audience. So what is the everyday longevity diet before we get to fasting and all of that stuff? What do you think the ideal everyday diet should be for somebody truly in- interested in longevity and, and anti-aging? Yes. And so I think more than and what I think, um, in the book, I talk about five pillars and uh, and now there's got to be a, a methodology 
to identify um, what kind of nutrition is, is important for people. And um, and this is also trying to address the confusion that we have out there. So many different diets, um, and, and so in the in the five pillars have, have to do with the epidemiological studies, clinical studies, basic research, uh, and studies of centenarians, and then finally studies of complex systems. And the, and the idea is to take all of these, these different disciplines of medicine and science and put them together, and 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 try to come up with common denominators. Uh, that are you know effective and protective, and so uh, if you do that, um, the, the everyday diet turns out to be a pescatarian diet, uh, so uh -huh. a, a low protein uh, but sufficient protein uh, vegan plus fish diet um, huh. that uh, is uh, uh, last uh, 12 hours a day. So let's say 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. People shouldn't eat uh, uh, for much longer than that. And then um, uh -huh. I, in the book, I also talk about the importance to go uh, from uh, what we hear all the time, which is five meals a day uh, or, or even more to two meals a day. Uh, huh. if, you're, if you're gaining weight or you tend to gain weight uh, or, or are overweight. Interesting. So, so let's talk about uh, low protein, sufficient protein. Can you quantify it? I know some people like numbers. They want to know number of grams per day. You know, what What do you define as low or sufficient protein? Roughly, where is that in the number range for an average woman or average man? Yes, roughly is uh, 0. Uh, 0. 0.35 grams uh, per pound of body weight. Um, so 0. So 0.35 somebody, grams. Yeah, gotcha. so somebody who weighs uh, 120 pounds, um, you're looking at... Uh, um, um, you know, something like 40 grams a day of, uh, of uh, protein. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, I had somebody on the show recently who talks to, who had the opposite theory, right? They believe that a lot of the weight gain and the obesity that we're seeing today is because on protein and therefore we're losing skeletal muscle mass and then having more blood sugar instability. What would you say to that theory when we're talking just about protein. I just think there's so much confusion, so I don't want to leave this quite yet. What would you say to that? Uh, I would say that if you look at all the clinical studies, um, uh, if you look at the epidemiological studies, if you look at the basic research, um, you know, our own study a few years ago um, using the CDC showing that the people that had the, um, the lowest protein intake um, they had the uh, um, lowest um, overall mortality, and uh, and they had the lowest cancer mortality risk. Um, so mm -hmm. I mean, it's it, it just many, many, many different studies. Now, right. what we also found in that study um, is that um, uh, the people over 65 uh, uh, that was no longer true. Meaning that people reporting having a low protein diet, they were 70, 75 year olds. They did worse, right? So, oh, yeah, so that, that is clearly an, an age-dependent, uh, a, a big change around 65 or 70. So the frailty issue may in fact happen, uh, but it happens in very old people, and it does not happen in, in, in younger people. Now, even if you look at animals, there's a study by uh, Simpson in Australia that was done, and they fed animals all kinds of uh, different combination of uh, of protein, of, of micro uh, uh, nutrients, and in fact, the, the longest lifespan the mice uh, um, reach is by a low protein 
uh, you know, relatively normal fat and high carbohydrate diet, that is the one that um, that people uh, the mice uh, um, benefit most from. And same thing from the Harvard, um, you know, independent of our studies, uh, the Harvard, the large 100,000 people epidemiological studies. If you look at the low carb people, um, if they had a high protein, high uh, animal fat diet, they did the mm-hmm. worst for every single cause of mortality and overall mortality. Right. I mean, I just could go on for about an hour and right, it's just, right, all you know, people, stuff. people that people that, that, that say that usually have very little uh, evidence uh, for it. I mean, there are some studies that show uh, protein benefits, but if you look at the clinical studies on, on protein and muscle, they show about 30 grams of protein optimized uh, uh, muscle synthesis uh, uh, in any given training. Uh, so you do not need, even if you did that twice a day, that would be 60 grams of protein. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And then uh, being a vegan, Talk to us about a healthy vegan for longevity versus one that's unhealthy. Is it mainly sticking to plant-based foods? Where does grain come into the picture? Where does fat come into the picture when we're thinking about longevity? There's such a push right now, as I'm sure you know, towards keto and paleo and all these other things. So I think everyone gets super confused. You know, what when it looks when you're looking at these markers, like you're saying, and you're looking at it purely from a mortality risk standpoint, what do you, what do you think about fat? and grain and where does that fit into being sort of this healthy vegan that eats fish as well yeah well um, we don't look at it just from the mortality we also look at from the health uh, you know so we're looking at health span right so how long can Mm -hmm. you live healthy and that's what we're really uh, focusing on and so you know all these fashionable things like keto uh, diet um, you know again if you look at the pillars for example, the, the the last one we always look at is centenarians and record longevity groups like Okinawa, Hello Malinda, California, Sardinia, Italy, Calabria, Italy, Greece, Costa mm-hmm. Rica. So if you look around uh, and uh, you look for, for example, high protein, not a single one of them, right? Uh, if you look at ketogenic diet, not a single one of these groups have a keto, high, uh, high fat diet. You know, the Greeks mm-hmm. and the Italians may have a moderate fat intake, let's say about 30%, maybe 35%. let us say the most you, you're going to get probably about 40% of the calories coming from fat. But um, the Okinawans, for example, that for the longest time uh, had record longevity, I just presented with Dr. Suzuki just a couple of days ago here in Italy, and mm-hmm. uh, they have an extremely low fat uh, diet, right? So... So um, it's really fundamental to to not have a one-pillar strategy to say, for example, if you go on a ketogenic diet, a high-protein ketogenic diet, which is probably the worst of all, um, Hmm. you're going to lose weight. There is no doubt about it. You may even see some benefits on cholesterol. You might see some benefits on on, uh, uh, blood pressure, et cetera, maybe glucose. Um, But uh, uh, you're taking a, a big, big risk. And you might not see the damage from that until 5, 10, 20 years down the road. You know? And then that's why it's so important to have the, pill, the longevity pillar So to say, let me look you know, not only at what's beneficial for a couple of months, but what's going to get you to 100 healthy. Right? And that's a very different field, you know, the one, the, the acute versus the chronic but chronic to 100 years of age. Interesting. And you mentioned this as we were discussing this is uh, eating two meals a day versus five meals a day. 
Are there certain people that should be doing that? Is weight the indicator of visceral fat, the indicator of when to drop your number of meals down? Is that just something everybody should be doing after, you know, 40 or after 50? Give us a little bit more there. Um, super curious to see what you have to say about that. Yes. Yeah, so I think that uh, in that case, if you look at the United States, over 70% of people are overweight and obese. Yes. And, and this is not just the United States. I mean, lots of Europe and and many other countries are in the same situation or, or similar. And uh, so, you know, that tells you about seven out of 10 people, uh, of course, need to do it. And uh, and even uh, lots of other people that are in the normal weight range, they might have lots of uh, abdominal fat. So they may mm -hmm. have to do it as well. So that 70% is probably more like 80% um, in the United States. And um, now uh, it should be two meals plus a snack meaning that um, it, it's good to keep the third meal uh, present um, and always have breakfast. Why? You know, lots of epidemiological studies now are showing that if you skip breakfast, you don't do very well. Not clear what the reason for that is, but um, let's say to be safe, it's good to probably just keep the breakfast and then have either lunch or dinner, but then have the, the third meal um, as a, you know, maybe 100 calorie, 200 calorie healthy snack or it could be a salad or, or something like that. It's probably right. good, not a bad idea to keep uh, the third meal, uh, or at least to have that snack uh, as the third meal. Um, now, um, yeah, we should do it. Yeah, of course, the people that are uh, that are um, overweight uh, or they may have excess abdominal adiposity, abdominal fat, everything, everybody else, I don't think they need to do it. You know, I think they can uh, they can have three meals plus a snack a day um, and that's perfectly fine. And, um, and, you know, for example, after age 65, uh, m on average, human beings, uh, they start losing weight. And um, so, yeah. uh, and, and we now know that um, they have a little bit of extra weight, you know, being like borderline 25, 26 uh, body mass index uh, seems to be uh, protective. So, if somebody is that at that borderline uh, and they lose weight there slowly, I, I would say, you know, uh, keep a good diet. You may have to eat a little bit more and, and avoid uh, uh, excessive weight, loss, you know, instead of uh, instead of worrying. I mean, I, I always have this 70 year old to say, oh, you know, I'm a couple of pounds overweight. I should lose weight. And um, in, in most cases, they probably don't need to lose weight. You know, so um, understanding that people like Simple ideas, but unfortunately, there is some complexity, and uh, it's not right. that hard. You know, you just have to be know what uh, fa age phase you're in, and then um, hopefully the doctor or, or a dietitian can help you, um, help can huh. guide you through the uh, general guidelines for that. Oh my gosh, I have a million questions. So real quickly, though, I want to repeat. That BMI, you're saying, of 25 to 26 is okay for somebody at what age and above? It's actually protective. Yeah, so I, I would say 70 and above and you're 25, 26 range. It's probably not a bad range. You're going to lose weight most likely progressively. Okay. And uh, so now you have a couple of extra pounds uh, and, um, and it might not be a bad idea to try to stay as much as maybe lose very, very little um, if possible. And that, uh, that's been shown to actually decrease mortality and, and not increase mortality. And then what about someone like 35 to 60? Where do they need to be hanging out? Well, they need to be hanging out. The, the, 
the BMI, the ideal one for for men is about around 23, and uh-huh. uh, and for women is around 21 or so. Those are the uh, the ideal uh, body mass index. That's where you see the lowest mortality from from uh, uh, from all causes. Um, Got you. And then you know, of course, people people need to adjust uh, based on, on on what they uh, uh, what they can achieve, and and of course, not if you know most people uh, are not going to be able to get there, but that certainly seems right. to be the ideal weight. And then for those listening today who are under 35, where would you tell them to aim? Is it the same 23, 21 male, female, or something different? Well, I, I, I think that, um, again, um, there's going to be all kinds of, of factors. I mean, you, you have certainly lots of women that are, you know, BMI 19, and they're perfectly healthy. Right. So, you know, right. I wouldn't necessarily tell somebody – um, that uh, they have to now, if they're BMI 19, they have to go to 21. So, especially right. somebody uh, under the age of 35, I think it'd be good to talk to a doctor or a dietitian and and gotcha. figure it out. You know, are you um, are you um, you know underweight? Uh, is that lean body mass uh, sufficient? Are there any reason to to gain weight to go to 21? Uh, or if you're a male and your BMI 22.5, um, again, is there some undernourishment issues? Uh, are the lean body mass sufficient, et cetera, et cetera? So I would say, um, I mean, in general, it, it's good to be between, let's say, 18 and, and 25, as, as most medical guidelines tell you. But uh, if you look at, uh, you know, how to make it to age 100 healthy, uh, those are the, the, the general rules, you know, up to age 65 seems to be good to be uh, for a male around 23 and for a woman around 21. Um, and, uh, and after that, uh, even a little bit higher. Oh my goodness. This is such great information. Now I don't want to lose you without talking about what is the rage now, intermittent fasting, the fasting mimicking diet, periodic fasting, break it down for us. Tell us what each is and what we need to be thinking about. Yes, yeah, so um, now we hear a lot about this uh, intermittent fasting, and intermittent fasting is basically trying to uh, include almost everything that, that has the word fasting in it. Um, but in fact, there are different different uh, things, you know. So one of them, which is becoming very popular, is the sixteen eight. So people basically eat for eight hours and then fast for sixteen hours. Now. That's a uh, uh, very good acutely, meaning that if you do that for a while, you're going to see benefits. But there are multiple uh-huh. problems associated with the 16 hours, which are not associated with the 12 hours, right? So I recommend in the book to go for 12 hours. So 12 hours, 8 a.m., 8 p.m., um, and uh, of, of eating, and or you know, 7 to 7 or 9 to 9, doesn't matter. Um, and then uh, 12 hours of fasting. Now, when you get to 16 hours, you see the benefits, of course. You might see benefits on weight, et cetera. But then if you look at the epidemiological data, you start seeing problems. For example, uh, one of the problems is gallstones. Um, you know, huh. people that have uh, consistently have long fasting periods tend to have a much higher uh, formation of gallstones and a much higher need for uh, gallbladder removal. Not a pleasant thing huh. to, to need. Um, I mean, to to have done to you. 
And uh, um, the other thing is, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, skipping breakfast. Lots of people that do 16 hours, uh, they skip breakfast. That's how they, they manage the 16 hours. And uh, um, and that's associated with uh, overall, increasing overall mortality, increasing cardiovascular mortality. So now, um, you know, there's all kinds of possible reasons for why that is, but certainly you wouldn't want to start something that is already associated with problems and not benefits, right? And uh, and that's why I'm very favorable, uh, favorable in favor, very much in favor for the uh, uh, the 12-hour uh, time-restricted feeding, uh, but against the 16-hour, which is becoming Got very you. popular. And same yeah, thing, I'm against the uh, alternate day fasting, so eat one day, fast for the other day. It's not feasible for the great majority of people. Eventually, you're going to drop it, uh, but it's also uh, likely that it's going to give you some of the same problems uh, that we just mentioned for the 16 hours. Mm, then there is the two diet, which is... Well, I was going to say, I do know the people that are doing the 16-8, they are skipping breakfast. What were some of the implications you had mentioned earlier about skipping breakfast and just keeping your two meals to lunch and dinner? Yeah, that's what I just mentioned. Now there are multiple uh, epidemiological studies uh, showing that people that skip breakfast uh, die earlier and and mm. develop more cardiovascular disease and probably uh, also additional disease, right? So um, so that, uh, that alone is a reason. And this is not just one study. It, it, again, it's been shown in multiple studies. And uh, that, that to me is a sufficient reason to already say, uh, you know, not only you don't see benefits, you, you will expect people to do better, right, on this diet, uh, not, not having breakfast. Uh, you see worse. Uh, when you see huh. worse, you want to probably stay away from, from that 16 hours. Gotcha. But 12 hours, perfectly fine. I think lots of uh, people in the United States particularly, but all over the world, they eat for 15, 16 hours a day. And right. that's when you start clearly seeing problems, you know. So if you can go back to eating for 12 hours, uh, then that really is supported by all the pillars. The safety concerns are really zero. Uh, uh-huh. And um, and uh, um, so, I mean, there is absolutely no reason to, to not do that. And is that what a fasting uh, mimicking diet is, the 12-hour rule, or is that something different? No, no, no. The fasting mimicking diet is, is actually lasting between four and seven days. Uh, and uh, this is something that we developed at USC um, to basically uh, allow people. We started with a water-only uh, long fast for like four days with cancer patients, you know, 10 years ago or longer. And uh, and right away, it was clear that uh, people did not want to fast, uh, water-only fa- fast. And uh, oncologists did not want their patients to do water-only fasting. That's when, uh, with some of the help of the National Cancer Institute, we developed a, a fasting mimicking diet and uh, for cancer patients originally, and then we moved to all kinds of different uh, people. Um, so now there's something called Prolon um, that is uh, um, that has been tested clinically. Uh, and, and, and what the fasting mimicking diet is, is a low protein, low sugar, um, uh, high good fat diet. Uh, the last okay. five days, it completely replaces the uh, the everyday diet for just five days, and um, and the, the it was developed to match the effects of water-only fasting on, on four markers: uh, IGF-1, IGF-PP-1, ketone bodies, and glucose. Right. So that's uh, 
that's what a fasting making diet is. Interesting. Oh my goodness. So much great information. All right. Well, if you want to learn more about longevity and anti-aging strategies and where food fits into this whole conversation of health and wellness, definitely connect with uh, Dr. Longo. Dr. Longo, what's the best way for the audience to connect with you? Yes, they can uh, uh, follow my uh, uh, professor, uh, Walter Longo, uh, Facebook page uh, at uh, Prof. Walter Longo, P-R-O-F Walter Longo. Um, Facebook, and that's probably the best way. We also have a foundation called the Create Cures uh, Foundation, uh, createcures.org. And um, and I just wanted to mention the I didn't um, mention the effects of the fasting making diet. So this was uh, clinically tested and uh, shown uh, um, last year in a hundred patient randomized trial to uh, lower um, risk factors for for diabetes, cancer cardiovascular disease, and also markers for aging. So um, so now uh, we, we very much uh, recommend this, uh, this FMD uh, to all people that have, let's say, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, uh, et cetera. Fantastic. Well, I know I've learned a lot on this episode today. I hope everybody else has as well. And remember, use this information to write your own personal prescription for power. This is Power Rx with the guru of longevity. Thank you so much for joining me from Milan today, Dr. Longo. And I know my audience has benefited from today as well. Thanks so much.